Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys kind of a difficult question here to start, so I hope you'll bear with me. I always like to have more of an icebreaker uh, for things because, you know, it warms people up a little bit more. Maybe it won't matter because you got the children's message and it doesn't really matter what I say in the sermon for the rest of the time. But, but my question for you is, how are you feeling about the Vikings right now? Now, I only say that not to poke fun, but because the last two Sundays, I have heard from so many people about their ambivalence toward the Vikings. I have literally, these are the things people have said to me. Well, I got to get going. I got to go watch the Vikings lose. <laughs> or, oh, did you, did you see that game, Pastor, the other day? Did you see that game? And I said, well, I, I don't, actually, I don't really follow football. Well, then you're going to be a lot happier person than I am. And you have all of this kind of, so for some of you, um, there's enough of you here, obviously, that are tracking this. Some of you are like, nah, I don't care about the Vikings. But, but the, the illustration, I think, works because uh, did you catch the ambivalence from the, the, the attitude towards the team? This reminds me of a very dear friend of mine who's a lifelong Cubs fan. And for years, especially leading up to their World Series run that they finally had, they had a few seasons kind of before that where they really started, like, you know, they won the division or did different things. And I swear, every single time I talked to Andy about some new thing that they did where they, you know, hey, they, they clinched, you know, they're going to this. Yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll see about it. I mean, I think I talked to him the day before the final game, I don't remember if it was like game six or how they won it, but it was the day before they won the World Series. And I'm like, hey, Andy, if they win this tomorrow, like all of your childhood dreams come true. I don't want to get my hopes up. And this is what we do. Not only, I mean, not just with sport, uh, but with all kinds of things. No, I, what I'm thinking my friend is doing and what our Vikings fans are doing or anybody else that's following these types of things is that you really don't want to totally buy into it. You don't want to have your dreams dash. You don't want to get your hopes up. You're trying to protect your heart in a way uh, from being too invested, so to speak. And, you know, when I talked to him about this the other day, he mentioned, you know, am I jaded? Is this a sign of my maturity? Because it is, after all, just a game. Uh, what is going on here? Have I just become cynical about these things? And I really do think that in a lot of ways, when we have ambivalence about anything, uh, it's an effort to try to protect our hearts from feeling what we actually feel about the thing in front of us. And it doesn't just happen with sports. Um, my wife and I, as you know, we and our family, we moved here from Hawaii, which was a wonderful place in a lot of ways. But one of the interesting dynamics you wouldn't know unless you lived there is that uh, many of uh, people who were local, uh, people who had grown up there, lived there their whole lives, 
there was such a, a transient population. So many military people would come and go. Many other people would try to make it in island life or something and it not worked out. And so even though there's a real aloha spirit, like a real friendliness of most people, um, there was also a lot of kind of keeping you at arm's length. Not from everybody. We have some very dear friends. But a lot of people, an illustration of this is, in most places that you live, um, the first question you might ask someone is, what do you do for a living? Or what high school did you go to? You guys ever ask that question around here? Is that kind of one of the questions maybe? What high school or what town did you grow up in? You want to know what the question there is? How long are you here for? Seriously, that was the question. How long are you here for? It wasn't, when I finally grew my hair out long, they stopped assuming I was military. And then people kind of didn't ask me that as much. But, but yeah, it was kind of a, you know, I don't, I mean, I want to be kind and I want to be a friendly person, but I don't want to get too invested because I don't want to have to say goodbye to you. This happens too. I mean, you know, I think of teenage love. I was thinking of the movie Back to the Future and how he's trying to give his dad advice, which is a weird movie, but, um, and his dad says, I just, I don't want to say anything to her. I just don't think I can take that kind of rejection. And you think about that, you know, boy's in love with a girl or thinks he is and his heart is all in it and I don't know. I don't want to take that kind of rejection. I even think about the ways in which we so often have conversations where we never actually tell each other what we really are thinking about something, right? Kind of like Tim earlier, you know, we don't want to say, I'm not sure how you're going to take it. I'm not sure if you're going to judge me about it. I'm not sure if you're in agreement with me on it. And so we spend a lot of our lives, especially as we get older, uh, trying to protect our hearts from other people. I think this is true. I think this is true. Well, God reminds us today in 1 John that uh, we are all three-year-olds. We're all three-year-olds. And what I mean is this. In, in the reading that Marcus did for us, um, we hear very extreme language. There's no ambivalence here. We have hate repeated multiple times, right? Cain hated his brother. The world hates you for following Jesus. Uh, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer, as good as, right? I mean, he's just repeating what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we have love as the language, right? Loving and, and laying down life for and cherishing. In other words, there's no hedging bets language, in this section of First John, and there's no hedging bets language from God, and this reminds me of how a three-year-old is, partly because I have one right now. <laughs> they don't hold anything back. They don't hold anything back. If, if she is upset about something, it is a, what do we call it? A temper tantrum. <laughs> Where else do we ever use the word tantrum? What a strange word. That's what happens with a three-year-old. If she's mad about something, you are going to know about it. If she's sad about something, you know, I mean, when we get older, if, if we, especially in our culture for some reason, but if, if we do, if you know, if we're sad about something, what do we do? I don't want you to see me. What does a three-year-old do? <laughs> I mean, it's just all out. Like, she's not holding anything back. Same thing is true, though, 
with the other side of those emotions. I mean, we tend to think positive or negative. I don't think that's helpful for us. But, but even with like love, you know, if I see someone that I really like uh, and I haven't seen them for a while, I, hey, you know, I might smile. Maybe I'll even give you a hug. I'm not like a super hugger, but you know, maybe I'll do that. My three-year-old, every time I walk back in the door, I could have been gone for like 10 minutes, right? She's running to me and grabbing around the leg and holding on and like kissing my, my pants or something. It's got, we think, oh my gosh, this is absurd. But that's what a three-year-old is like. You never have to guess how a three-year-old feels about anything. And God, I think, is telling us, not just here in 1 John, but all through Scripture, that despite how we age and how we learn to cover up our emotions, our hearts, try to protect ourselves, we saw this last week with uh, Psalm, uh, was it 139? I don't remember. With the Psalm that we read, that God sees our hearts. In other words, when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees a three-year-old. Because you can't hide the extreme emotions where your heart is from the Lord. He sees it totally. There's nothing that you can keep from him. So we can cover up with each other, but you can't cover up with God. God knows exactly how we feel. He knows our loves and our desires, the things that you know, ruminate in our brains over and over and over and over again that we can't get out, that we get obsessed with. We, we don't want to say it to other people. It will come across as obnoxious. God knows it all. God knows our anger and our hatred. I mean, we try to soften the blow. I don't really care for that person. God knows actually how we feel. He knows the hatred that we have for certain people or things in our lives. He knows it. We can't actually hide it from him. He sees us as we see three-year-olds. There's nothing hidden from him. Our hearts are completely exposed to God. He sees it all. And in in and of itself, that would be a very terrifying thing. And in fact, John uh, points that out in the text that we heard because he says, if our hearts condemn us, if our hearts condemn us, condemn us. The reason why we want to cover up our hearts is because we don't want to be exposed and we don't want to be condemned for what our hearts chase after, get angry at. I mean, our hearts are unruly. You know, it's, it's usually, people usually think of themselves as very rational people, right? If you just give me the explanations for things and I will make decisions, I'll develop better habits and my life will change. Is that true? No, not even close. What our hearts desire Our will chooses and then our mind justifies. I heard this from someone years ago and it's incredibly wise. What our hearts desire, our will chooses and then our minds do the work of justifying what we wanted to do. And God knows that about us. And John is saying that about us. He's saying if our hearts condemn us and we know that about ourselves, but in the same breath, what does John say? God is greater than our hearts. In fact, God's heart is greater than our hearts. There's nothing that is too much for him from our hearts. He doesn't shy away from us. Just like you do with a three-year-old, you know, you don't reprimand them for having their emotions. You expect it from them. 
and you are safe for them. The same thing is true for us in relation to God. His heart is so great for us that we do not have to protect our hearts from him. We don't have to try to protect ourselves from God. We don't have to try to shield how we feel about things from him. I mean, just look at uh, the Psalms, for example, as evidence of this, right? The psalmist set gives, lays everything out on the table for God. And this is his invitation to you and me as well. So I got a final question for you today. How does God, I, t- I asked you first about how you feel about the Vikings, and you guys are probably still thinking about that. But a bigger question, a deeper question for us is, how does God feel about you? How does God feel about you? I think a lot of times in our kind of secular society, people are not thinking of this question explicitly, but it's there. It's there when we are trying to prove ourselves to other people. It's there when we're trying to find a place of safety. Uh, It's there when we are trying to show that we have value in our community around us. What we really want to know is how someone feel about us. And those are all extensions of wanting really deep down to know how does God feel about us. And because of our measured and protected ways with each other, we kind of default to thinking that God might have a measured or protected approach to us too. Uh, Maybe he's a little ambivalent about you. And it couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, God doesn't do mixed things like this. He's like 100% on board. I mean, how does he feel about our uh, sinful hearts and our sinful directions and our damaging ways toward each other? He doesn't like it. He hates it. He hates our sin. He wants to see it done away with completely. And he doesn't pull any punches on it. I mean, that's the law that we hear in God's word. And how does he feel about you? He loves you. He doesn't hold that back either. In fact, he loves you so much that he will expose his heart for all the world to see. This is what is happening with Jesus at the cross. God is not protecting himself. God is not buffering himself away from you and I. He's unafraid. And so he is exposed completely on the cross, the heart of God for you. This is what we see from the Lord. God's heart is so big and he is so unwilling to hold back. God, in fact, is very much like a three-year-old in this same way. He will hold nothing back from you because he loves you so much. He's not jaded, he's not cynical, he's just laying his life down completely for you. So what does this mean for us? Maybe you've already made some connections in your mind about this. What does this mean for us? A couple weeks ago, I was talking with uh, a friend and parent uh, who they're just starting kindergarten with their kid. And they said something to me that the kin- our kindergarten teacher said when our uh, daughter, our second, was in kindergarten a couple years ago, the exact same things. This is what the teacher was letting the parent know about expectations of what this experience was going to be like, not only for the kindergartner, but for the family. She said, here's what's going to happen. 
Your daughter's going to come to school. And this is the first time she's doing, you know, school all the time probably, right? And there's lots of things to learn and grow. And so your daughter is going to work her butt off to please me, the teacher. She's going to do all the things that, that I want her to do. She's going to try to get all of the gold stars and the smiley faces and everything. She's going to try to please her classmates. She's going to try to please me. And then at the end of the day, she's going to completely run out of self-control. And she's going to come home to you and she's going to give all of her junk to you. All of her anger, all of her joys, all of her exhaustion, Basically, her heart is going to be on her sleeve for you because she's been holding it together all day for me and now she's just going to rah, everything on you when she gets home. And you know what the teacher said? Do you know why your daughter will do this? Because she knows that you have unconditional love for her. Think about that. If you don't have to protect your heart because you know love and acceptance is on the other end, then you're free. You're free. Now, parents do this in a very small way, and God does this in an infinite way with you and me. We know that with him, we have love without condition because Jesus has met all of the conditions. And so God can take Everything that we have to throw at him, everything that is on our hearts, all of the big feels that are too much even for us to handle, God receives them all. And what this means for God's people is, one, that we have a safe space with God. We, don't we are protected. We don't have to protect ourselves from the Lord. The Lord is our shelter and our strength. He is our protection. And what this also means is that by the Spirit's guiding, we can reflect in very small ways this type of love and acceptance toward each other. This is what John is getting at. As God has loved us, we are to love one another. And it's not just a general bland, ah, I'm nice to people. Like this is what John is talking about. That we can actually be open to each other and what is on our hearts and listen and love just as God does with us. I want to close us with a prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, show us your heart every day, every moment. Father in heaven, open our hearts to you so that we can be healed. Holy Spirit, create a new heart in us to love each other, to risk everything, to hold nothing back. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.